Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Everyone, welcome to the 48th edition of On the Ball, a Norwich City podcast from The Athletic. I'm Michael Bailey. I'm the Athletic's Norwich City correspondent, and I hope this one finds you safe and well. On the way, Hugh Gill's puff of the cheeks, a firm grip on the crown jewels, and Norwich gives the tribal away. Uh, and we'll work through all of this and more with our guests. Former Norwich City press officer, Ben Mouncer. Hello, Michael. And BBC Radio Norfolk commentator, Chris Gorham. Hello, Michael. Thank you so much for joining us, guys. Much appreciated. Uh, check on how we all are. Ben, how are you? I'm good, thank you, Michael. I'm good. I'm excited, actually. Transfer window closed, and now we've got a lot of games coming up. So, yeah, this is this is what it's all about, isn't it? Matches. Yeah, I mean, in terms matches, of matches, um, matches. following the matches is great. I think working around them, there's a, an element of, oh, gosh, how are we going to cope with all this? But, hey, it's the championship. We're used to it uh, to a degree, aren't we, Chris? But maybe not to this condensed Oh, amount loving it. Yeah, I mean, at, at the time of recording, Norwich have won one game in a row. So I'm, I'm happy yes. with that. In, in the way it's been over the last few months, we, we have to take these things when they come along. So yeah, couldn't be happier at the moment with all things Norwich City. I mean, you, you're going to struggle to find a team in better form over one game, really, <laughs> exactly. at the moment. Exactly. Yeah. Um, how are you, Chris? Are you well? Nice to have you yes. on. Thank you. All good. I know. I was. I think the last one I was on was the first one, and this is the the, the forty eighth. So that means you've you found at least forty seven other people in between times to come yeah. back, come back round again. <laughs> I've got. I've got to be honest. A few recurring um, themes and uh, a bit of churn, but we're okay, and we're still here, which is probably the more, most important thing. So we'll take it. I was thinking that this was this was our debut almost twelve months ago, exactly. So we've we still go. got the low squad numbers, Ben, you and I, because we were we were the first on here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. definitely. I remember that part actually. Cause I think it was the week after. We beat Everton at Goodison Park, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. gosh. It was. Let's not listen to all yeah. the positive things we said about how we were definitely going to stay up after that. <laughs> oh, wow, yeah. Well, we made the most of that opportunity because there weren't many more after that. So uh, can consider that a, a box ticked. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, let's crack on, shall we, with this week's headline act. Now, um, I wanted to start off by talking strikers, if if I may, mainly because I was... Slightly surprised, if I'm honest, that Daniel Farker didn't start with uh, Timu Puki at Rotherham, which of course could, could certainly be partially because of the international break and Timu playing for, for Finland. Also, he has plenty of options and it was a big opportunity for Jordan Hugill uh, at, at Rotherham to sort of stake his claim. Likewise, we had Adam Eder who... Um, started on the left and, and again that surprised me because I, I, I knew Daniel Farker saw that as an option but I wasn't sure about it being one maybe from the, from the start um, out wide um, so, and, and we have obviously had games at the end where we've had all three strikers on and it's like go, go for it see what you can do guys so um, I mean, we're clear, clearly Daniel Farker has a lot of really good striker options um, Chris but you know where do you see it in terms of what he's got to play with and what's almost the best way forward, really. 
Yeah, I think it's really interesting that nobody's scored more than one goal for Norwich so far. The, the three strikers you've mentioned have all got one goal each and they've all got various strengths that are all very different from each other. So you, you could almost look at who you're playing in each game and decide which striker you think is going to be best for that task. I, I don't know how he's going to do it because it's going to mean a big change in, in the way that Daniel Farker lines up. But I would love to see Hugel and Puki starting a game as a front two because I think they, they have the styles that would complement each other. And I, I felt not so much on Saturday, but certainly in the, the Derby game when we were playing against a team that was just sitting back and sitting back. It felt like we had too many defensive players on the pitch and that maybe that was an opportunity to have Hugel and, and Puki together as a front two, a proper front two for, for a prolonged period and just, just to see how it works because they are so different. I think that you, if you've got that physical presence plus the, um, the intelligent movement of Puki, I think if there's some way of getting them to play together, it would be great. But I know that's very old-fashioned and you, you have to give something else away elsewhere in the team if you're going to play a front two. But that, that, that is what I would love to see at some point for a sustained period rather than just you know, when you're going for it in the last five, ten minutes of a game. It was interesting, actually, Daniel Farker, before the game of the weekend, mentioned how Norwich has spent a, a good chunk of the international break working on how to beat a low block, basically. And, and if a team is sitting in, how, how, how they could sort of do that. And it does factor, as, as Chris rightly said, the, the strikers are all so different. They've almost got a, an indication of, of how Norwich are approaching it by way of the striker that they choose to attack the game almost. I agree. Although against Derby, they played lots of crosses into the box and had Pukki in there. And then on Saturday, they didn't put any in the first half and they did have Hugel in there. So it was, it's not always a clue as to how they're going to approach it, but it should be. You're right about that. The horses for courses point is an interesting one with the Hugel selection. I, I'm kind of with you, Michael. I, I, was, I certainly was surprised, but I also kind of was in favour of it because it felt like it was something that Norwich maybe needed to do after that um, derby game. Um, I, th- I, th- I think for me as, as well, the Hugo selection was as much about kind of maybe what he offered in, in the defensive side of things from, from set pieces as well, given the kind of um, threat that Rotherham offered from there. But also, you know, it, it, feel, it feels to me like that, yeah, the next phase, and I agree with Chris, the next phase of this is, is trying to integrate Hugo and, and Puki together. That's a good point on defensively, actually, because that, that gets brought up quite a bit by Daniel Farker in terms of what just tall players do defensively, yeah, yeah. Um, which uh, I guess was always a sort of um, a, a flip side to the technical ability that they, they all had. I mean, it is interesting that, as you said, Chris, they've all scored. Um, you know, they've got to try and rack up 30 goals between between all of them because that's what Daniel Farker always wants from his from his three three strikers. So, I mean, it, I, I guess we're hoping they're sort of warming up a little bit, but it feels like there's a little way to go. And, you know, I mean, Jordan did score, but it was from the penalty spot. And, and actually, there were a few chances there that he couldn't quite take a, a Rotherham. Yes, but Norwich haven't scored many goals this calendar year, have they? I think that takes it to something like 10 in 23 league games in, in the whole calendar year. It's something Oof. like that. And a fair few of those have been penalties. So they've scored, they've scored two goals in a game. They've done that twice now this season. Ida, Puki and, and Hugel have all scored. So I, I see potential there. I, I would say that the amount of chances they were creating on, on Saturday uh, were, were, was something that I'm quite encouraged by and quite optimistic about. They, that game could have been three all, could even have been four all at half time. I don't think any of us would, would really have, have any, com, any complaints about it because it was, it was so open. And that's what surprised me. I, I expected Rotherham to approach it a little bit like Derby did. And and sit back and maybe try and catch us on the counter. But they, they gave us as, they gave it as good as they got. And I thought it was a great game to watch. And it was so open. And actually, Norwich probably should have had 
a goal much earlier in the game than they did. And it, it could have been any score you like by half time. I thought it was a, a proper championship game of football. It was, I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, that was it. I was also encouraged by the kind of amount of chances, but it, it did feel like Rotherham with the unexpected pressing that they were doing, were leaving huge gaps that because of the players we have in attacking areas, we were able to exploit. Unfortunately, we just weren't able to take those chances in the, um, in the first half, especially. But for me, I think still as an attacking unit, we're not where Daniel Farker would want us to be. I think we're still looking like a team that is maybe waiting for something to happen than a team that is tr- like knowing what they're going to do to make something happen, if you know what I mean. Yep. Um, but I, I, I do also genuinely believe that, um, that that will come over time, especially as we'll come on to later with the players that we've managed to retain at the end of the transfer window. I did want to just share this with you because this, um, this was something I asked uh, Jordan Hugo after the game on, on Saturday. You've got more than six minutes today. I mean, that, 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 I'm personally quite glad. I don't know, my lungs aren't feeling delighted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What were you doing? How were you after sort of eight minutes? Was that eight I'm minutes, joking. I, I, was all right. I was looking at 75 and thinking, oh my God, I'm not going to But that, that, I mean, as much as the goal, I would imagine actually starting a, a league fixture as well. And there's, there's clearly work to be done in terms of how, how you're going about it as an attacking unit. But that, that whole element of getting the start and going right yeah, here we go yeah as I said look at my, my season last year I was I was playing every game so as I said I had to be patient coming at this team and when my chance came along I knew I had to, to take it so what happens now is happens now but I believe that I've, I've done what I can today and I believe that we can go from to the next level from here well done Matt. cheers thank you I think it'll be interesting, of course, if, if he plays. I, mean, I, was, I was just trying to you know, joke a little bit about him getting more than six minutes because you know, it was a bit of a recurring theme. But, can, I, um, can I just say as well, Michael, I, I listened to Chris's interview with Jordan Hugel as well yesterday. And I thought it was absolutely brilliant, actually. He comes across as a, a really down-to-earth um, kind of guy. He's definitely an endearing character. The fact that he said um, he's fallen in love with, with Norwich already. And this, this is his first, like, his first goal for the club. Um, yeah, I thought we came across really well. And, and, and I was looking in, into his like career um, and the background and stuff, and there are kind of echoes of Grant Holt. I'm not going to say he's going to have anywhere near the impact that Holty did for Norwich City, but I, I feel like he is somebody who is absolutely devoted to improving himself and being the best he can be. And he's at that stage now where he's at the peak of his career. He's got a move here to a club that is going to be gunning for championship promotion. I feel like he could have a real impact this season if he continues on that trajectory. Having said that, I thought his performance was was decent against Rotherham. I think there was a lot of things that he certainly could improve on. Um, but yeah, I, I'm optimistic that he could be a really good option for us this season. A few times when he was rolling on the floor and winning a free kick, and then he sort of saw him get up and sort of shudder, shake himself off and, and walk towards goal. I was thinking, yeah, I saw Grant do that quite a lot. But that that then sort of had me sort of scratching my head because the idea of Grant Holt in a Daniel Farker team, I can't really get my head around because it doesn't, <laughs> well, doesn't work. But it even sounds a bit like him, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> talking to him you think hang on this it is like a, it is like a Grant Holt tribute act watching Jordan Hugel at the moment he, he sounds a bit like him he's from a he's from the north similar area of the country and he's number nine he's big target man he, he's got he's had a similar career trajectory hasn't he where he, he's you, you feel that if it really takes off for him somewhere he, he could become a hero and I know our friends from Along Come Norwich have gone early and already made the Jordan Hugel tribute t-shirts which I I really hope uh, proves to be a wise investment and it's not one of those that we're, we're looking back on like the the on loan to the NZ league t-shirts from 1995 and we're laughing at but no I think he's it's interesting without fans in the ground I don't know whether cult hero status comes that quickly but I think if you had Norwich fans there on Saturday who were able to see him play 
they would have been in that end where he took the penalty away because that, that was in front of what, what's usually the away end at Rotherham. I, I think you would already have somebody who was becoming a little bit of a cult hero. There's, there's definitely promise there, isn't there? But maybe these things without fans in the ground take a little bit longer to, 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 to catch on. I don't know. Yeah, and I think it's easy to typecast him as somebody who we, we will just play long balls into and be a kind of stereotypical target man. But actually, I, I don't know if either of you two noticed this against Rotherham, but a lot, a lot of the crosses we actually put into the box, especially in the second half, Hugo was actually peeling off and not going for that first ball. That indicates to me that he has a bit more kind of of a poacher's instinct than maybe we might give him credit for. And it'll be interesting to see how many, because um, goals, and I think he said this himself, goals are something he has gradually added to his game as he's gone on. So he's maybe, he maybe started out as somebody who was purely in the team for his physical presence and was, was bringing other people into play. But actually, I think watching him for 90 minutes yesterday, his movement when we were in the final third of the ball was actually quite interesting. And, and a lot of the crosses that went into the box didn't actually end up going towards Jordan Hugo, as you might expect. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Right. Uh, things we are not going to discuss. Uh, these are the things we, we feel we have a duty to uh, bring up, but, um, but maybe we'll just, you know, sweep them under the carpet or not talk about them. But um, so we're definitely not going to talk about uh, the defending for the first goal. Although I, I have to say it was sort of the subsequent, um, probably slightly overhit pass from Tim Krull and then the ball sort of going over Ollie Skip, which wasn't ideal as much as Grant Hammy kind of being caught on his toes. But it was like the first three minutes, Chris, of his of his return <laughs> so he probably deserved a bit of the benefit of the doubt from there as well can i be honest yeah i've not seen the goal again other than <laughs> when it actually happened and well, i'll tell you why because we didn't have replays did we at rotherham which no. we do at some games we don't at others and it was so early in the game when they um put the match highlights out later on youtube i just fast forwarded through that because i, d- I didn't want to see us conceding a goal i just wanted to watch the, <laughs> i wanted to watch norwich's goals so and it felt so long ago and so much happened since i wanted to see the penalty save i wanted to see the red card I, so I'll cards on the table. I saw what I saw with my eyes at the time and I've not watched it back at all since. Well, this is the, the, the benefit of being a radio commentator. You, you can you know, have a mic and watch the game and talk. It's great. Yeah. Whereas I had, I was in my laptop um, crafting a tweet about Chris Kamara making a noise above my head and me going, oh, look, there's Chris Kamara. I was mid-tweet and then I was like, oh, there's uh, Ladipo and oh, he scored. So I didn't even see that build up in real time. It was then watching it back. And actually, Grant Hanley's involvement wasn't quite as bad as I, as I was sort of being led to believe up until the point. That was how I Yeah, I, I think if, if any of those three players was, if we were going to put the blame on one of them, I think it would be Ollie Skip personally, Ooh. because um, look, the, 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 the pass out from Krull obviously wasn't, that accurate but it also wasn't a kind of disastrous mistake hey. like like he made at arsenal last season um we're not going to talk about that <laughs> and no no we're not we're definitely not going to talk about that but i think also hanley would have expected skip to get that ball hence why his his body position is maybe slightly not where it should be hey we're not going to talk about it anyway um, oh, i was just going to say it's a proper norwich gold giveaway then it was an all-round bad job <laughs> everyone mistakes by committee that's how we like doing it <laughs> tim tim should have saved it anyway um <laughs> the red card we shouldn't talk about it but crumbs what a tackle that was i mean uh, i think everyone was sort of just grateful that ollie skip got up again although he didn't complete the game and I, i'm not entirely sure that was purely tactical i think that whether he was struggling a little bit i'm not sure but um yeah it was you know i, I haven't heard anything from the fa since about um, the scenes afterwards, which 
which made me wonder, but I don't know how precious they are about that now. But No, well, you just, it's, again, you talk about the, the joys of being a radio commentator, and, and the great thing about that is you knew exactly what was coming straight away. It was, it was, you didn't have to, even if we had VAR, you wouldn't have had to have no. waited for it for that. It was such an obvious red card. And, um, yeah, Angus MacDonald, who once scored an own goal for Norwich uh, when he was a Barnsley player, he's now scored, been sent off against us. So I'm, I'm putting him up there with Gareth McCauley as a potential reverse Luis Suarez, somebody who <laughs> a, a stinker against Norwich. He's got a long way to go to match Gareth McCauley. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm sure you picked up on this, but when you were speaking to Daniel Farker, Chris, um, he, he, he did label it a, a top-class Premier League game, didn't he, on, on Saturday? I think he meant championship. Didn't yeah, he? I think he did. Yeah, bless <laughs> yeah. him. But, it um, was. It was a proper championship oh, game. Oh, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it definitely wasn't a Premier League game, but I mean, it, was, it was a really entertaining game. We should say that, but we won't obviously talk about it. Um, there were fans back watching at Carrow Road, Ben, in, in a lounge, socially distanced. Yeah. I think they enjoyed oh, it. Did they? I've, I've not actually seen anything about this. Is, is there, has there been some feedback and, on the experience? I think there's bits and bobs um, here and there. I, I, someone, yeah. I, I know someone who was there. They said only half of them were actually watching the penalty because they were sort of hiding behind their socially distanced <laughs> chairs. Um, but I mean, that's, that's good. I mean, there are some clubs who are hold, holding these kind of beanback events at home games, which does kind of throw into a whole ridiculous set of circumstances. But we're definitely not going to talk about that. Um, we're not going to talk about the fact that uh, Charlie Gilmore has been released. Um, former Arsenal um, apprentice did quite well at Telstar, I think, uh, but picked up a nasty injury just before uh, lockdown and everything. So obviously we all uh, wish him well with whatever awaits. Um, and El Hernandez is injured, which is probably partly why Adam Eder was on, um, on from the start against uh, Rotherham. And he's out basically until Christmas as well, Chris, which is... That's annoying, isn't it? <laughs> or not yeah. that Anel had had a great sort of reason. No, I don't, but... I don't think he had. And I think that he's one of those players that you felt hadn't made his mark in the Premier League quite as much as we'd all hoped he would. But I think partly because of injury and just the way it went for Norwich. And you, you expected a big season from him. You thought, right, back in the Championship, we know he can do it at this level. Didn't think he'd started particularly well. Um, but now maybe we know why. Not 100% fit. And hopefully we can get him patched up and back and properly fit for what will probably be the second half of the season so yeah um, he's not done yet as a Norwich player all being well because someone who's got that pace and that ability when he's on song it's, it's valuable in the championship um adductor surgery he had which uh, for us is groin <laughs> as, far as, as far as i'm i'm, I'm aware so speak for yourself michael well, yeah i mean my, I'm, I'm sure some medical professionals will be horrified at the difference between the adductors and the groins but there we go um and um we should also mention, well, I don't know why I'm mentioning this because I didn't want to talk about them. So um, there's obviously Milton Keynes-Dons who had uh, Cameron Jerome and Carlton Morris on the score sheet, uh, Louis Thompson getting booked and obviously Russell Martin in charge. They, they won at the weekend, which is great for them in League One, just clearing themselves away from the, the bottom end at the moment. Uh, I did have a glance at the top um, and we're definitely not talking about that. Uh, anything you guys don't want to talk about? Uh, can I, I don't want to talk about luck. And the, <laughs> yeah. the reason I don't want to talk about luck is because when Norwich lost to Derby, we were sort of chatting about it on the radio and we said, oh, it's, it, Norwich didn't have the rub of the green today. They Pookie missed a penalty and slipped. That was unlucky. You don't see that very often. And a lot of fans um, were, were quick to ring in and say, it wasn't anything to do with luck. It's the, it's the results that matter. And then on Saturday, you score a 95th minute uh, winner from the penalty spot and everyone says well we were lucky today hang on you you can't have it both ways we were, we were either very unlucky and then very lucky or the results speak for themselves you can't have it both ways too true 
One thing I don't want to talk about is our defensive situation. Obviously, I really don't want to talk about it. But what, what I've noticed during the championship this season, interestingly, is that defence seems to be winning. I mean, there's a real paucity of goals in the championship. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, especially when compared to the Premier League. Um, I don't think the weekend just gone, I don't, and no team scored more than two goals. There were two nil-nils and four one-nils. Um, and Watford, who are fifth in the league, have scored three and conceded one. There just seems to be a real... Yeah, and I'm, I'm interested to, to know your, maybe your theories on to, as to why the Premier League has, has um, seen so many goals in the Championship, so few behind closed doors. My theory is that maybe the attacking, like attackers in the Championship, perhaps rely more on the momentum that maybe a crowd offers. Whereas in the Premier League, the kind of quality in attacking areas is stands out behind closed doors. I don't know if I'm making any sense at all, but I'm, I'm, it's, it's an interesting kind of... Um, juxtaposition that I'd, I'd have to break it down but it, it strikes me in the premier league so many of the goals are coming with the the bigger clubs whether they're either just not not with not at it at one end or just com- frightfully at it at the other whereas and i, I get the impression that from actually la- halfway through last season i remember speaking to um george ellick wasn't it in our preview podcast and he was saying that the championship is it's not, it didn't really follow Norwich and, and Leeds' example of this beautiful, free-flowing football. They actually started that there were teams who were, being, who were building success on being pretty awful <laughs> in terms of just, you know, defensive and let's just not get beat. And I wonder if that's maybe the, the, the sort of ex, extension of that into this season, uh, possibly. Um, yeah, Chris, obviously, Chris, it's still very early days. Chris Hutton's yeah, yeah. obviously in at, at Nottingham Forest now. And uh, he, um, Paul... Uh, uh, Paul Taylor wrote uh, the first piece. They beat Blackburn, and um, apparently uh, Chris Hutton has added, added an attacking dimension to their um, resolute defensive um, work under Lamucci. So, but we're definitely not talking as about as that. evidenced in their one nil win against Blackburn, <laughs> the team top yeah. of the league. Yeah, I, I think what, what I noticed from the weekend in the Championship, I think I'm right in saying there was only one home win. In the championship yes. this weekend. Yeah. After that the point you made about buying closed doors football, I think if, if ever there was any any proof needed that it does make a difference, that's got to be it. That strikes fear into me for this week coming up. <laughs> good time for two home games. <laughs> right, let's get into our centerfold, shall we? Um, it's a good time for me to plug my piece from the weekend that touched on how things have been in the last fortnight for Emmy Wendy and Max. Aaron's and Todd Campwell, um, but also, of course, what happens from here. You can read that and everything on the superb app from The Athletic as well as on your desktop. New subscribers can read it all for just £1 per month for a limited time. Simply visit theathletic.com forward slash UK subscribe. Um, the key thing of the transfer window finally closing and us not actually starting a podcast by talking about it is that the three are all still here, Ben. And, and you know, Max, uh, Max and Emmy were integral to the win at Rotherham, ultimately. And while Todd got a bit of a whack from Grant Hanley, I think it was, in training, um, he should hopefully be back soon too. So, yeah. you know. Obviously, obviously yeah, three, three really important players for, um, for us. First of all, Max Ahrens. I mean, I think he's, he's been so good this season and his quality at this level is there for all to see. And I actually think he's beginning to take on a bit of a leadership role in this team as well, which is, which is really interesting for somebody so young. Um, Emmy Buendia um, eventually had a, a, a really positive impact on, on the game against Rotherham, having had a, you know, a, a, maybe a difficult kind of first part of the game. And then it sounds like Daniel Farker and Todd Cantwell have had a chat during the international break and, and maybe Toddy might be um, motivated slightly more than he was before to um, contribute to 
certainly our, our, our matches over the next couple of months before the January transfer window opens again. Yeah, well, yeah, um, 10 weeks. <laughs> 10 but, but a lot of games. I think it is a lot of games between now and, and, and Christmas. Um, a, a pretty deep, um, a deep conversation, I think, is the way Daniel uh, described it. So we, we'll see how they get on. Um, perhaps the other sideline to all of that on deadline day was Tom, Tom Tribal leaving Chris and, and joining Blackburn, which I suppose is the element that probably raised the, the bigger eyebrows. You know, a player leaving to a side who are, well, quite determined to go up this year by the, looking at their recruitment and how they're planning to do it. Well, yes, Tony Mowbray is building a sort of greatest hits of promotion winners from previous years, isn't he? He's got Bradley Johnson in there. He's got Elliot Bennett, I think, is injured, sadly, at the moment. Now he's, he's added Tom Tribal to it. He's on Barry Douglas as Barry well, Douglas, didn't he, I noticed. Yeah. So he's, he's got a, a, a squad full of players who have got promotions, but maybe not for Blackburn. Yeah, I can, I can see why Norwich fans are a little bit concerned about this because it does look like an accident waiting to happen, doesn't it? You've given one of your players to another club in the championship who's, who's near the top of the table. But I think you've got to look at it and, and say, if you, if you tell a player that he's not required and you tell him to find a new club and you don't give him a squad number and, and you're that emphatic about it, if it gets to 24 hours before the transfer deadline and he has found a new club and there's only one offer on the table... It takes a neck to stand in his way, doesn't it? And say, actually, no, you're staying. I think if, yeah. that this is the. I think Norwich got, got themselves in the situation where they told him to find a new club. Probably assumed it might be a, a, in Europe, might be back home. Actually, the only offer on the table was Blackburn. So, if you've made a decision that this bloke isn't good enough to play for you in the Championship, you can't then decide that he is good enough and, and deny him from from going somewhere else. So, I, I I don't see what else they could reasonably have done. Yeah. I'm putting myself in Tom Tribal's shoes. I can't. I can't imagine at the beginning of this summer he'd have, him, he'd have seen himself playing for Blackburn Rovers and in a, a championship promotion push. But no, I, I completely agree with what um, what Chris has said. How how much he contributes and how much he plays in terms of minutes for Blackburn will be interesting as well. Whether he becomes an integral part of their team. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking at kind of the, the what the stuff around Tribal, and obviously we don't really know what's going on behind the scenes. But the stuff around Tribal has kind of baffled me a little bit. Um, how, how he has been cast aside so much because I look at the role Lucas Rupp is playing in the team at the moment and think, well, Tom Tribal could do that job probably slightly better. I'm not saying Rupp's been really bad by, by any means, but I think, um, yeah, it, yeah it, it's, it's a bit of a strange one. Um, but yeah, uh, good luck to him because he's, he's, he's contributed a lot for Norwich over the last few years and it's a good move for him. Too true. Um, left wishing for anything more? Uh, a bit like Daniel Farker, because that was kind of what he said effectively on on uh, on on Friday, Ben. Yeah, maybe. Um, obviously, Zimmerman picking up an injury. It's fine. It's, it's just a minor one. It's just fine. Yeah, no, but I've, I've, I've got a feeling you two are going to speak to Daniel Farker after this, and he's going to say Zimmerman's also going to miss Birmingham and Wickham. You know, it's one of those classic. Okay, he's going to miss three games then, is he? Well, that um, would be all right. It's, it's when he comes out and goes, well, he's had a bit of a setback, and now he's going to be out for four yeah. months after an operation. Yeah. They're the ones you want to worry about. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. Look, I don't want to talk about central defenders because that that topic has been um, spoken about so much. But yeah, if if anything, covering that position might have been nice. But yeah, close me down there because I don't want to talk about I'm, it anymore. I'm closing you down, Chris. <laughs> I I can't think when we signed it was it eleven players in the end, yeah. so we we didn't leave we didn't leave too many um, stones unturned, did we? But I completely agree. I think it's because of it's bitter experience isn't it I think Grant Hanley and Ben Gibson as a back to a central defensive partnership has all the hallmarks of being a proper championship central defensive pairing and if they get a string of games going together and they play like we know they can 
I think they're going to take some shifting from the team. And if you've got those two with Zimmerman around, it's actually not bad in championship standards. That's actually decent. I think the problem is we have, we're so scarred by having lots of central defenders injured at the same time. And you look at the fitness records of these, certainly Hanley and Zimmerman recently, and Ben Gibson not playing for, for a number of, of, of years uh, at Burnley, you can't help but have that nagging thought at the back of your mind that it's not going to be many weeks before Alex Tetty's playing at the centre-back again. And then we're <laughs> going to look back and think, you know, for, for a club that prides itself on recruitment, to come out of a busy transfer window looking a centre-back short, it's a big gamble, isn't it? Yeah, it's, um, that Teddy tweet I've seen a lot already. <laughs> there was people calling that. Michael, do you think if we'd have managed to get either Josip Dermich or Moritz Leitner, one or, one or both of those out, do you think that would have freed up the space for Farker to have brought a centre-back in? Sorry yeah. to be on the spot. Yeah, p- potentially. Um, potentially, but I, I don't, you're only then talking about wages. So it's then about who you loan in. And I think, because yeah, yeah. they're kind of viewing it as a fourth, fourth choice centre-back. Um, that's a really hard one to recruit. I mean, who do you want to bring in for that? So I think Daniel Farker said he, he was sort of hoping that he could have brought someone in, but I, I don't know if, if, that, if that was someone who was really going to compete with the sort of the top end of his centre-back options. I, I don't know. It's, um, it's a hard one to, to decipher. And so prob- probably not, um, but we'll see how the other backup cover options pan out if uh, if we get to that point well let's obviously hope not <laughs> with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice quick strategic thinking is crucial and with obstacles consistently impending determination is essential in overcoming them it's this willingness decisiveness and resilience that sets marines apart with our fighting spirit we don't just fight battles we win them Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Right, this is a new section which I'm labelling, this is just like fantasy football. Um, now, the, the, the schedule going forward for the rest of the year is not, not really ideal for a podcast that goes live on a Tuesday. Um, we will work through that. Um, and please make sure you're subscribed via your usual podcast player so you don't miss any editions of On the Ball. And that includes any bo- bonus podcasts that we may do around the midweek games. Uh, but as part of it, I figured we should, uh, we should round off our podcast basically predicting what's in store over the coming week so you can enjoy this podcast with the added gift of hindsight which I think is one of the greatest gifts you can be given. So um, for those wondering, Norwich hosts Birmingham on Tuesday and uh, then it's Wickham on Saturday. I don't know which of you would like to go first, but I am going to go straight in with Wickham. I mean, Wickham look one of the worst championship sides I've seen um, so far, uh, which seems like a great thing to get involved in in terms of predicting. But they, uh, I think they have scored their first goal, I think, which they celebrated with euphoria, uh, but they, they, they lost... And uh, their boss, Gareth Ainsworth, who, who's obviously done a brilliant job to get them where they are, um, is just delighted to be here. So uh, that'll be exciting seeing them down at Cow Road on Saturday. Is that a prediction? Uh, <laughs> what what, what are you exciting. predicting? <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be about eight, isn't it? Surely, eight nil. But hopefully Norwich will get a consolation. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. You're asking us for score predictions here, Michael. Is it, no, no, I, want, I just want things, stuff that's going to happen. What's our week well, going to look like? I, I think Norwich City surely finally are going to get some points behind closed doors at Carrow Road. Oh, come right? on, that's ridiculous prediction. <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, six, I mean, six league games dating back to Project Restart. Um, obviously, Preston doesn't count because there are fans in the ground. The other, the other behind closed doors games 
Manchester United so close in the cup. Yeah, in so the cup. close. Um, but the empty seats of Carrowd have yet to see their team <laughs> pick up any points or score. Well, we scored in the Man U FA Cup game. Oh, in the league. I was thinking in the, in the league. In the, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, in the league. No, you're right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Bring back the thousand so, fans. Um, <laughs> and uh, I mean, I to Karanka, you know, they, they tend to be quite lively games when he's at Carrow Road. He's in charge of Birmingham now, obviously. It's a, there's a bit of a Middlesbrough-esque uh, 2015 vibe to Birmingham now, <laughs> I've noticed, which is good because yeah. that was like five years ago. So um, whether they're all at uh, their peak, I don't know. But I think that's going to be a draw that game. Um, yeah. And I think there'll be a meltdown from fans on social media and then we'll beat Wickham comfortably. And I think I said at the beginning of this week, seven from nine is a minimum from the three set of fixtures. So I'll probably take that. Although, would I really take a home draw against Birmingham? I'm not sure. I mean, it would. I, Chris, I can just, I can feel now a good, a good convincing 3-0 home win against Birmingham and then a 0-0 goalless draw at home to Wickham. Yeah, I, I think we all, we, we all know from Norwich City what it tends to be like, don't we? And I think if they beat Birmingham comfortably, then I'll be more worried about Wickham. That'll be one that will somehow manage to, to do a derby and lose to a, a goal in the last minute or something. I, I can see one of them being a, a fairly comprehensive win and the other one being a frustrating draw or even like a one nil defeat. I just think that's so Norwich. And we'll, we'll come out at the end of the week saying, well, if we, if we, if we can do it, there'll be, there'll be signs of potential. There'll be moments like the, the build-up that led to the Rotherham goal on Saturday where you'll go, here we go, they, they found it again. <laughs> and then there'll be moments like the, the Derby game where Pook will be slipping over and, and all, all goodness knows what. Oh. We're not quite there yet, are we? So I, I'd be delighted if we win both games, but the way Norwich have been recently, I, I, I'm not going to, put my neck on the line and say it's going to be two comfortable wins because it just won't be will it it's Norwich City Todd's, uh, Todd's going to play isn't he Ren <laughs> uh, you tell me Michael you've, you've got I the inside know. track I don't, I don't make those decisions it's not up to I me I hope so although Steepy, I thought Steepy did, did alright in phases on, on, on the weekend yeah I, I think I owe Marco an apology actually because I halfway through the second half I was like get him off what is going on because it, it, so much seemed to end with him giving the ball away, but I, that was, I, I think looking back at it now, that was just my perception of everything because he was, he was kind of involved in a lot of the really good moments, especially in the first half, played a big part in the equaliser and um, actually didn't really give the ball away much more than, than some of the other worst defenders on the day. So, sorry, Marco. You didn't know it, but now I've apologised. So, there we go. Marco's going to score. <laughs> Let's put that in. It'll be Marco Stephen one goal. And then we have, we haven't 30. seen a celebration for a while, have we? Like no, that's true. I think he's thirty games without a goal. I think three zero. I think he is. Yeah. Wow. Born to score. Ouch. A lot of those were kind of sub appearances in the Premier League. But yeah, he's not, he's not scored since the, the the previous Championship season, has he? So well, there you go. That's quite a bold prediction, then, isn't it? And ultimately, well, um, I tell you what. Whatever whatever happens, we will be back the other side of it, which I suppose is the exciting part. Uh, that is uh, time on the ball. We'll be with you every step of the way this season. So make sure you subscribe via your usual podcast player of choice. And the podcast is available for free for everyone on your usual podcast player, and then ad free to subscribers of the Athletic via our app if you like what we're doing leave a review and a rating wherever and please spread the words of our efforts across the Norwich City world if you'd like to get in touch please ask a question propose a topic whichever you wish sling me a direct message on Twitter the handle is at Michael J Bailey in the meantime a big thank you to our debut crew reunited thank you so much Ben thank you Michael Chris always a pleasure see you Michael Uh, we'll be back again next week for another On The Ball a Norwich City podcast from The Athletic until then Never mind the danger.
and we are done we are clear officially uh ben all good enjoyed it yeah good i've got a problem because my chair is incredibly squeaky so i sort of (laughs) trying to sit so still throughout that recording so it doesn't like can you hear that okay yes i can now yeah yeah well well done sort of a bit paranoid about that but you know we got through it and we got through it that's sometimes the best thing to do in football is not to move whilst everything moves yes it creates space and great content um welcome to wits end all of you uh twitterkers and welcome chris hello again <laughs> looking slightly bemused as to why am i still here we finished the podcast <laughs> um if any of you are wondering what's going on listen to on the ball podcast number 42 which went live on september the 8th it's all explained in there you can email uh, us right here at twitterkers which is twitter k-e-r-s at icloud.com or use the hashtag uh, twitterkers hashtag twitterkers on twitter uh, just don't explain what it refers to that's the rule um uh, we've uh, let's rattle through some things shall we we did uh, touch on um last week when it was just myself and steve we gave we gave dean ashton the the exit we he didn't need to come on so it's like away you go dean go and have your dinner because i don't think you'd eaten um but we did um pop up one thing in terms of best norwich city mustaches now we had kind of it came out of a chat from grant holt which i guess filters into the fact we've mentioned jordan hugill i mean i guess he's going to have to grow a big mustache before he well yeah i'll probably take more than that but you know a mustache will help but um in terms of greatest Norwich city mustaches i mean that was a movember effort so we have to then say is that kind of the same thing does that really count um so we put out a you know a, a note if anyone wanted to let us know uh, richard hammond got in touch on twitter and he mentioned uh, graham padden and john mcdowell in terms of great mustaches at norwich city now i've reviewed if i i reviewed to can you picture I can kind of picture Graham Padden, so I can I can go like, yeah, okay. Uh, John McDowell, I couldn't really. No. Can anyone help me out? No, before, before no, our sorry. time, Michael, which I know is no excuse. You've got to know your history. But well, this is true. Well, I did. I did him up. Well, yes, please. I, I did as well. So um, I don't know if I, I might be able to share my screen. I don't know. But there's a, an incredible picture of him right now with a full perm and a proper handlebar moustache, John McDowell. He looks an absolute treat. Uh, to give some context, there's the panel next to it of similar images, which has Carlos Valderrama from about yeah. the 90s. So, um, but also a couple of other Norwich crackers here. Jimmy Neighbour, um, probably a bit more of a tidy moustache. Uh, and, and David Evans, who's, whose perm is a, is a lot tighter. The perm, maybe it's just really curly hair, but it's, it's a lot tighter to his head, but it's just wonderful. Uh, and then, and then a moustache that's probably not quite as fulsome under the nose, but um, but but certainly probably better than Grant Holtz. I'm, I'm afraid to say. So, um, a couple of really good options there. I, I might share those on on Twitter because I am aware I I did promise I would share the pictures of Gary O'Neill and of Robert Snodgrass on Twitter on deadline day, and I got <laughs> so lost in all the stuff that happened on deadline day <laughs> that I forgot to do it. So I'm going to put those out. Um, on, uh, I'm going to put those out at half time in the Birmingham game. Fantastic, and and also thanks to um, Richard Hammond there for taking some time out of his busy schedule as a celebrity and TV presenter <laughs> to shed some light on some Norwich City moustaches. Do you think it it could be? Couldn't it? <laughs> I mean, it would probably be a burner account because there was no there was no avatar on it. But Richard, let us know yeah. if you're you know yeah also busy. So there we go, and also more Norwich City moustaches. Um, they're not very common, are they now? Which seems a bit of a shame, really. Maybe Todd Cantwell's going to grow one in his next kind of statement. Maybe. His next I, kind of appearance statement. I, I feel like we're not the place to suggest what Todd Cantwell should do with his hairstyling. No. Um, and certainly 
Yeah, you, don't want, you certainly don't want to suggest it, Michael, because obviously he won't see that. So, I mean, if um, the TNC boys got involved in that, I reckon, yeah. I reckon they could coax him into a moustache. Yeah. But I don't want to, don't want to start speculating on whether Todd Kemmel could grow a moustache. I mean, we absolutely should be speculating <laughs> about that. So, you know, Chris, have you ever thought about getting no, stuck into comms with a moustache? No, I don't think it would. The, the lip mic would get in the way. I, it'd rub it off quite quickly. I, Disco Dale Gordon, when I first started going, yes. that, that, for me, that's the, that, that's the first one that came mm. into my, my head, and I, I can't think of a, a, a better one than that. That was a great... Um, but to fair, but he was a stylish guy, Disco. Yeah, yeah. Disco Dale. Um, I wanted to ask you a couple of these just to see what your opinions are, and also Ben, because you, you won't have had a chance to eat these. Uh, uh, eat these? Um, uh, mention these. I'm obviously hungry. It's lunchtime. Uh, uh, don't meet your heroes, which we've kind of spoken about when I um, told Chris Llewellyn I'd always backed him and he gave me a scowl. Um, <laughs> and also um, Steve Sanders, who admitted that uh, he was too, too, too shy to say how much he admired Dean Ashton, which I guess was also when he was a teenager and got his shirt signed. But then the other week when he was on the podcast with him, and he, I think he was, he was very calm and professional. So well done. Steve but uh, yeah any any Norwich City heroes that you probably shouldn't have met or maybe ones that just blew you away Chris oh I think it's always the first time isn't it it's from my era you can tell from the shirts in the background it's the again you go back to Disco Dale it's the Gunny era uh, for me it's it's even meeting Ian Culverhouse when we get to interview him as the King's Lynn manager that it's that era those are the ones that you're that, that have the, the biggest effect on you aren't they uh, it's it, sometimes it's for me it's when you get stuck when we do our interviews after a game uh, you'll know about this. You you sometimes finish the interview and then you're left standing with the manager or the player while they mm-hmm. wait to go into a press conference. And yeah. I had quite a long 10 minutes with Steve Bruce uh, up at St. James's Park back in February after that nil-nil draw. And it's just hard to know what to... Because you don't want to say to him, oh, you just watch you. Because <laughs> it's that so long ago and Steve's done so much since. So you have to kind of pass the time of day talking about you know, whatever's going on, the pictures that are on the wall. But it's just, they're, they're just very awkward conversations because you don't want to be that guy that says, when I first went, you were playing. <laughs> and they're not, it's also post-match. I mean, it's... And they're, they're it's not, still, exactly, uh, it's not normal time. The emotions are still running high and they're thinking about what might have been. So it's not the time to, to, to go into a you know, discussion on the, the life and times of Steve Bruce. So I left it. Yeah, fair, fair enough. I've had a few of those awkward conversations. I mean, Ben, you've worked at a football club. You've worked on the inside. You've, you've been colleagues of footballers. It's a completely different world. They were like your buddies. They all came on your leaving do and what have you, I'm sure. Well, they might have been my buddies. I certainly wasn't their buddy. Um, Ooh, no, definitely. Wow. Uh, no, it's, it's a strange thing. I'm sure you guys kind of had this transition as well where, you, where you, you one, one moment you're kind of a fan and you see footballers as you know people who you'd never get to speak to. And then suddenly when you work in football, it kind of becomes normalised. And actually, Brian Gunn, you mentioned Brian Gunn there, Chris. Um, obviously, Norwich City bona fide a legend um and somebody who uh, you know i never really have dreamed of kind of speaking to but he is someone you know when you meet just such a normal nice um person everyone knows this everyone knows that gunny is um the nicest bloke you'll ever meet so yeah someone like him and also i don't want to sort of repeat what steve said but dean ashton for me i'm the same age as steve so he probably had the same impression on me as a sort of young norwich city fan growing up and i still think he's certainly one of the best strikers that um, we've had in, in my um, sort of time supporting the club. So yeah, doing podcasts with him. We did a few projects when I worked at the club with Dean Ashton, getting to sort of speak to him and, and hang out with him. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit strange really. And actually that kind of fits in with the whose name would you have on your back of your shirt question, Michael. The, the Ashton 36 kind of um, shirt was, was an iconic one. 
I've got a good story for you about Dean Ashton. Yes, so please. Not, not all Norwich City supporters are blown away by Dean Ashton. I can remember having him commentating with us. It, it must have been, may have been long enough ago for when Paul Lambert was, was manager. And he was commentating with us at Carrow Road. And he turned up and he said he'd had some lovely Norwich City fans to come up to him in the car park before the game and had a good chat with him about life and times at Norwich City. And then ended the conversation by, by saying to Dean Ashton, Oh, well, John, hope you get a clean sheet today. They thought they'd been doing <laughs> ruddy. <laughs> so not everyone is blown away by Dean Ashton, but he saw the funny side of that, thankfully, and just let them believe, oh, yeah, yeah I'll do my best. to <laughs> believe they've been speaking to John Ruddy when they haven't. It's, it's, a strange one. it's a strange one, Dean, isn't it? Because it, it, it does kind of frustrate me a little bit when people refer to him as a Norwich City legend because he really wasn't here for very long at all. No. Um, and obviously he now lives in the area and he retains some kind of link to the football club. But for me, like, obviously... He played nowhere near the amount of games other players have had, like someone like Brian Gunn, for example. But um, it was the impact in his short period of time and where I was as a supporter on on my kind of fan journey that kind of makes him somebody who I would always be um, happy to happy to talk to and sort of look up to. And, and wishing he'd been here a few months earlier. Um, Chris, yeah. really, I'm going to ask you that. This while, while you're on as well, Chris, you're the player who is on the back of one of your shirts or you would have on the back of your shirt? We see. Well, you've got, you've got, so you've got an Asics shirt, classic, we'll obviously, see. from the late we'll 80s. The and Foster's big reveal. The yeah, oh, big this reveal. Sounds... It says a lot about me, this does. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Yes. No heroes, mate. They just, they just leave you and upset you. Never put a player's <laughs> name on the back of your shirt. I learned that very early. In this, this era, when they were selling Flecky and Chris Sutton, no, never, never have a name on the back of your shirt. It's only going to end in tears. I'm waiting to see. We don't see all the fans together now, but I'm waiting to see the first fan who's got one of the new shirts with... Ben Godfrey on the back oh, of it. You just don't do it. Yeah. Don't ever put a current player yeah. on the name on the back of your shirt. It's only going to end badly. You'd, you'd Imagine you'd, all those fans who've gone out after the Tottenham Cup game and gone, I want a Josip Dermot shirt. Imagine see, that. If I worked in the club shop, I think I would take responsibility and I'd be like, no, don't get Ben on because he might leave. Um, how about Christoph Zimmerman? Because then that's probably upselling as well at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So... You know, I think really yeah, does this cost more? It's like Scrabble, isn't it? Like, do you pay more for it? <laughs> they should do. They yeah. should do. I love that. Um, well, yes, and you're right because I'm, I'm sure I've said it many a time. You know, I had I had uh, Keith O'Neill on the back of one shirt, and he was always injured. And then I had Craig Bellamy on the back of another shirt, and he did his knee. And then I had Fillmore Ryan on the back of another shirt, and he broke his leg. I didn't learn. And I couldn't and, stop. <laughs> and and yeah, and what Ray Ward? Yes. Raid Award. Hey, yes. I still think he had something about him. <laughs> if, if, I, if, I'd have, if I'd have been a bit younger, then David Strahavka would have been on the back of, <laughs> of, my, of that era, of 2000. When you turned up to the club shop and said, can you put Duard on the back of this? They go, are you sure? No, they were like, oh yeah, our great Dutch <laughs> left winger signing who can hit an amazing corner. Yeah. Yeah. You sure I can't give you one of the other lads? You know, you sure that's the one you want? Hey. <laughs> He had something. That's all I'm saying. Um, I think we've got one email. Yeah, it's true. I've still got the shirt, as you know. Um, I've got one email uh, shirt. Let's get stuck into this. Chris Ogden. Thanks for getting in touch, uh, Chris. That was at twitterkers at iCloud.com. Of course, bring in your emails. We love them. Um, regarding underrated players, this was uh, underrated players in the last 10 years. I have a thing for unsung deep-lying midfielders. Uh, Gary O'Neill, there he is again, massive headwind, Gary, uh, did a decent job for us. And I still think David Fox's pass for Simeon Jackson away at Portsmouth is one of the best City moments of the last decade. I'm still annoyed that Chris Hewton binned Fox off, although, to be fair, it was to make room for one Alex Tetty. Whatever became of him, Alex Tetty. So there we go. David Fox, proper and most underrated player of the last 10 years. Because he did 
played played in the Premier League. I wouldn't say he's underrated by Norwich fans. I think he's very much rated, actually. Um, so, yeah. Well said, Ben. There we go. Yeah. Do you want a line under that <laughs> one? Gary, 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 o, Gary O'Neill, though. Yeah. Massive I'm not sure I agree. Massive yeah. headwind, Gary. Um, just on the old uh, Twitterkers and uh, Wits end, we've got a... Um, Emmy of a business, which is one of the Twitter handles that's been set up by someone in, 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 in our honor, uh, which uh, one of the tweets from, from them over the last week, can I get a refund if I only watch three minutes at EFL? I, um, I hope you didn't because then you'd have missed all the good stuff. So there we go. And watch the last three minutes, you'd have been all right. Exactly. Well, that would have been worth the whatever it is, <laughs> £10. Not, not cheaper than a Premier League game, obviously. Uh, and uh, get yourselves over to twitterkers.co.uk. Um, the subjects on there, whoever's updating it, they're doing a remarkable job of keeping it up to date. And uh, we will look forward to the many topics that end up on there. And you can obviously get involved in discussing any of those whenever you wish at any time. As I said, I owe you those uh, two pictures. I will also um, put a picture up of... Uh, of um, who was the picture of? Uh, yes, John McDowell. That's it. John so I'll get McDowell. John McDowell's um, hair. And if anyone else can think of the best Norwich City moustache, and I guess we could extend it to hair, why not? Then I, I want to see those pictures. So put those up on Twitter with the hashtag uh, Twitter, because if you so wish. If not, uh, no worries. But I think we're done unless anyone has any other business. <laughs> no. no. Underrated player. Go on, I'll give you an underrated player. Oh, yeah, go on, Chris. Ultimate underrated player for Norwich City ultimate. in the last 10 years. Yeah, yeah. ultimate. Harry, Harry Kane. That's <laughs> true. No other answer. No, there this is. is no this is what happened. Answer. This is what happened on the last pod we did because Chris tried to say that Harry Kane should be. In <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. The greatest <laughs> I, ever. That's right. Well, I, no, team yeah. of the decade. Team I said the decade. If, the, if the question is who's the best striker to have played for Norwich in the last decade, there is only one answer. If the question is who's done the most for Norwich, it's not him. But if you're asking who did we not realise we had at the time. And who's the best striker to have played for Norwich in the last 10 years? It is Harry Kane. There's no other way of... I mean, I know you probably want to finish it now, Michael. But... Yes. <laughs> hey. That's why I've got his name on it. No, I haven't. Well, yeah. <laughs> He's on the back of the Foster's Lager shirt. But, uh, right. In that case, I'm, I think we should wrap it up. Um, thank you so much, guys. Um, much appreciated, Chris. Much, much, much pleasure. Much fun. Anytime. We'll do it again soon. Cheers, Anytime. Ben. Thank you. Um, and at the request of the Twitter account, uh, Emmy Other Business, uh, we have a fresh Norwich City pun to uh, wrap up. Please keep them coming our way. Uh, but for now, that's a rope. Mm-hmm.